You're listening to the Blended Family Podcast, a weekly show with a strong focus on strategies and methods to help your family thrive. Blended families face many difficulties and challenges, which can sometimes drive families apart. The goal of this podcast is to help your blended family grow together through these challenges to create the peaceful and loving home you desire. Here is your host, Melissa. Hello, you're joining me for episode 237 of the Blended Family Podcast. I hope you're all doing well this week. I've got a great guest for you today. She is going to be talking about conscious parenting. So if you ever just wished that you knew how to handle your kids better, or if you wish you knew how to have a better reaction to them when you get triggered, well, today's guest is definitely going to have lots of answers for you. I really enjoyed talking with her and the light bulbs just kept going off during our conversation and I hope that you find as much value in it as I did. Next week, Jen Lumenlin will be here. She was supposed to be here this week, but we have not finalized her episode yet. So she'll be here next week and we're going to be talking about interest-based learning. So that's another topic that has become a big deal for people right now. And I'm just trying to bring you lots of topics that are very relevant right now. You know, it's funny, I was, I was actually just going through some of my reviews, and I'm going to read you a couple of them. But as I was going through them, I noticed that one person in particular uh, does not like that I'm talking anything about COVID right now. And I understand, listen, trust me, believe me, there is nobody more tired of COVID and everything about COVID than me. I don't want to talk about it. But the reason that I am is because it's a relevant topic right now and it's affecting all of our blended families in a very, very big way. And I get questions about this all the time. And so, of course, I need to bring topics to you that I think are gonna be helpful for the majority. So I'm sorry if anyone is tired of it. I am too. And don't worry, today's show is not COVID related, but you know, it just happens to come up in a lot of conversations even. Like I know I have a bunch of interviews that are getting ready to come out. Two of them in particular are attorneys and they are gonna be answering questions regarding law surrounding COVID. And again, this, these are things that people might need to know coming up, right? We don't, we are facing a lot of uncertainty right now. And so I can't help but talk about the things that I think my listeners need to hear. Um, but I will read a couple of the other reviews. Uh, we've got one here from July 31st. And they said, love it. Thank you for doing this podcast. I've been in a serious relationship with my significant other for about two years, and we've lived together for about one. There's been a lot of adjustment and change that's occurred, and this podcast has given me insight in how to do so. Also, Melissa is so positive, fun, and thoughtful. Thank you so much for that review. And the other one is... Also a five-star, Melissa, your podcast has given me so much hope in the pure fact that my blended family and the struggles that come along with that are not alone. To hear from families that go through the daily grind to do what it takes to grow together is priceless. I feel as though I'm sitting down with friends and learning about their learned wisdom, strengths, and knowledge of what it took for them to make their family the very best that it can be. Super encouraging. Thank you so much. 
thank you so much for those reviews. I so appreciate it. I used to get notifications and I, I guess I just need to get back on there and check on those. But thank you to all that leave a review. You know, your reviews are actually very important. It kind of shows other people that the show is worth listening to. And so I appreciate any time you can leave me a review or share the show. Uh, and you can easily do that. There's links always in the show notes, but blendedfamilypodcast.com slash iTunes. I almost forgot there for a second. The only other announcement that I wanted to make is about my coaching. I've been doing a lot more of that lately and I'm enjoying it. I've been noticing that people are just needing a little bit of extra support right now. And so if you listen to the show and you feel that you're you're loving the information, but maybe you need a little bit more of a personal touch, maybe you just like to have a conversation about your unique blended family situation, I would love to chat with you. You can always go to my scheduling link, which is blendedfamilypodcast.com slash schedule. And there you will see all of the options, including a mini session, which is just a free 20 minute chat to see if we're a fit. And then I have single session, I have package deals. And then we also have our free financial coaching, which we offer to blended families just for all kinds of financial needs. So any way that I can help you, I would love to do that. I've got a little bit more time in my schedule right now. We haven't been cleaning all that much because Due to the virus, a lot of people are still, you know, cautious about having us in their home. There's a lot of other people that are working from home, so they don't feel the need to have us come over there. And we've had all kinds of things going on. So our cleaning business has slowed, and that's why I've been taking the podcast more seriously and trying to spend more time to deliver you content that you need right now to get you through these next few months, the rest of 2020. I don't know. I don't know how far of a rough road we have ahead, but I hope it's over soon for us all. I love you guys so very much. I really hope that you enjoy this interview today with my guest, and we will see you next week. Bye. I'm here today with Catherine Celery, three times TEDx speaker, who's taught thousands of parents in a conscious parenting revolution for resilient, considerate, centered and empowered kids who know their inner voice and honor it. Catherine has been coaching parents, children, and executives on conscious communication for over 16 years. I'm really excited to have you here today, Catherine. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I am so delighted to be here today. Thank you. You know, dynamics of parenting have changed over the years from you should be seen and not heard to almost the opposite, where I've seen parents lately pour so much into the child, even to a fault, where the child doesn't learn how to be independent. And as parents, it's always so hard to find the right balance. And as parents in blended families, like most of us are, well, finding balance is especially challenging because there are so many moving parts. So I'm so happy that you're here today to help us. And I know that you come from a blended family as well. So the first thing I want you to do is share a little bit about your story. Oh, thank you so much. And you already brought up such good points. Um, I'm dying to get into those. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, you know, I was a child growing up in a family where both my parents had been married before and had children in previous marriages. And so it was his, mine, and ours. And, um, and I think it was a his, mine, and ours um, 
really early on. Um, so there wasn't a lot of, well, people like you talking about it, giving support um, as a resource for all of us to find our way. And as a result, um, you know, one of my TED Talks is on, you know, growing up with unconscious parenting. And I think a lot of us are, you know, I'm guessing a lot of your audience are nodding along going, yeah, you know a little bit about that. And so many of us do. And I know that my parents certainly loved all of us. And the road to hell is paved with good intentions at the same time. And so in spite of all the love, there really needed to be, um, gosh, I want to say skills, skills to see behavior differently, to not look at so-called bad behavior or what I would call the tragic expression of unmet needs mm -hmm. as disrespectful, um, to be able to see past the behavior to what someone inside is experiencing and doesn't have the skills to be able to say in ways that are maybe socially acceptable. And that shift in perspective gives us so much more space so that we're out of reactivity and judgment and that it's really hard to navigate these experiences as children. It's hard to navigate them as adults. And I know that parents get triggered thinking that it's disrespectful or how dare you speak to me that way or, you know, it's, and it does, it runs the gamut. Like you said, we have everything from the, because I said so, which I still think is actually pretty popular to the um, so much um, doing for that there isn't space to let kids go out and fall on their face and have a container where they know they can do that and that they can recover and that, you know, all the ingredients for resilience are present. Yeah, it's very interesting to see how things have evolved over the years from generation to generation because, I mean, I even, I'm guilty of it too in my blended family that I think our kids we were a little too lenient with them over the years. But I look around and I see that other parents are struggling with the same exact thing. We don't know how to parent. We maybe, I think somewhere along the line, we thought we don't really like maybe everything our parents did. So we're going to try this a different way. But our way uh, was not that effective, I see, as mm. I see some of the results of what's come out. So tell me what exactly is conscious parenting? That is so well articulated what you just said right there. Because I know that has been my road too. And the conscious parent is one that recognizes that I don't know what to do. <laughs> I don't know what to do. And I remember being there. My kids are older. I have a 25-year-old and a 21-year-old. And I remember being there 25 years ago, which is when I started this path. And um, this particular road of really trying to bring some consciousness to my own parenting. Because I stood there looking at my two-year-old, like looking down and looking at each other, locking eyes, thinking to myself, I know I'm supposed to do something now. <laughs> and I have no idea what it is. The only thing I had to draw on was my past. And I didn't want that to be the source of my inspiration because there were too many mistakes made, too many hurt feelings. And I knew, I knew in my heart there had to be another way, but I didn't know what it was. And so I think like you, there's a sense of being, oh my gosh, I don't want to make all those same mistakes. And yet, what do I do? There was an action or a response that was required. And at that point, I didn't know what it was. And of course, that's what I've spent the last 25 years doing is really deeply 
endeavoring into what does conflict resolution look like in a conscious family. And it's totally about addressing all of the inconsiderate behaviors, not being that doormat parent, mm-hmm. the permissive parent who lets everything go. Like there's absolutely no sense of that's not okay, that there's a sense within a child of everything's <laughs> everything's okay. And I think that builds up resentment in the adults where it begins to feel like maybe not appreciated or, you know, inconsiderate to like such an extreme and the resentment starts to, to develop toward the child when in fairness, the child's never been given an opportunity of a really clear message about how this behavior is affecting me and why and my needs and what they are so that a child can become conscious. Oh, I didn't even know that when I was doing the behavior, I didn't even know it was interfering with you meeting your needs. Oh, I'm happy to shift. And it really comes from that place within a child. And that's the guidance that we can give. And that's, that's really what the conscious parenting revolution is about is how do we guide our children to awareness of other people's needs so that they can shift their behavior out of just this internal place within them of, oh, golly, sure, I'm happy to do that. And we strip away the disrespectful and bad and naughty, misbehaving, all the words that are the judgments of the effect it's having on us. And we shift our focus not from how I'm experiencing it to, oh, how can I, how can I consciously communicate what I'm going through so the other person can hear it and there really is the sense of they're just living life. They're not coming from a place of wanting to be um, inconsiderate. They just didn't know any better. Maybe it was thoughtless, but it wasn't badly intentioned. And with that, we create channels of communication where people can easily flow without there being a lot of the trauma that gets cultivated, the retaliation, the rebellion, the resistance, the three R's, as Thomas Gordon spoke about, those have been extraordinary for us to understand. When we use a controlling form of discipline, we actually activate and create the response. So it's, you know, it's that whole idea of, you know, what you plant grows. And if you sow this harvest, then what did you plant to sow the harvest? So the focus gets back to, oh, what what harvest have I been planting? And oh, I can pivot and plant a different one. I really like what you just said, that you can pivot and plant a different one. Because just now in my mind, as you're going through this, I'm thinking, gosh, you know, I I wish that I had done certain things differently. I had a really difficult, one of my children was very defiant. And Mm -hmm. had I been conscious at the time, and I wasn't, I was going through divorce at the time, Mm -hmm. I was moving, there was a lot going on in my life. And her acting out now I know was because she's very empathic and she was feeling mm-hmm. so much and I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. And so it just appeared that she was constantly misbehaving, constantly doing bad things. And I wish, you know, that I had you back then because I would mm-hmm. know. And so I like what you said to pivot because sometimes we think, gosh, it's too late. I've mm-hmm. failed at a certain thing and I can't change it. And so I want you to tell us. I'm glad you just told us that it's mm-hmm. not too late. So how can we pivot? And, and is it ever too late? Like, wh- how do we do this? Mm-hmm. Well, that's something that I, I truly believe it's never too late. And with, you know, the truth of the matter is, is that we are always doing the best we can. And I'm sure mm-hmm. you were at the time of a very difficult time in your life with a child who was obviously acting out her own pain, right? And if we can just start to see these expressions as tragic expressions Mm -hmm. of an unmet need 
the minute we just like, I don't know, write it on your hand, write it on your arm, you know, tattoo it somewhere, put it on the refrigerator and just anchor into that. I mean, if, if I never, you know, speak to you or any of your audience ever again, just that one change in perspective, every time you want to label someone as badly behaved, naughty, uh, disrespectful, stop and, and think about this is a soul that is expressing tragic as it may be, socially unacceptable as it may be. I like to say people don't know how to drown politely. So why do we expecting them to know how to do that? Of course, they don't know how to do that. Nobody knows how to do that. I mean, I I actually, you know, on different TED Talk, I I actually talk about, you know, I feel like I was trained to drown politely. And that's a whole nother conversation where children are so, so trained to know that their tragic expressions are not allowed here. So no matter what you're feeling inside, you better learn how to put that happy face on. Ooh, that's bad too. Right? You can see the tragedy in that. You can see how heartbreaking it is that a child would learn, it doesn't matter how you feel inside. Whatever you do, don't show it. That all that's acceptable in this family is that everybody show up with a happy face. And if you have to, you know, just plaster it on, so be it. But do not show up showing me how you're feeling inside. So that to me is a whole nother level of tragedy. And so I'd like to say that all of us have probably been on both sides where we ourselves have not felt safe enough to be able to show how much pain we're in. And so we mask it and everybody's got their favorite mask that they put on. Mm -hmm. And then there are other people who can't mask it. They didn't learn that trick. And so they just show you. And as uncomfortable as it may be for me to experience someone's tragic expression, the focus really isn't about me. It's not my experience of someone suffering. It's that this person is suffering and, oh my goodness, what can I do to support them through it? And as soon as I start to depersonalize and see all of these expressions as tragic expressions of someone's unmet need, then my deep sense of compassion and love, just that empathy that springs forth allows me to take a step closer and, you know, one of my teachers was Marshall Rosenberg, the founder of uh, the non- Center for Nonviolent Communication and Restorative Justice. And he used to say, just never listen to the words people say when they're drowning. Just don't do it. Because it's never going to represent what so is truly good. going on yeah. inside. Right? Wow. It's such good, solid advice. Just don't listen yeah. to the words people say. <laughs> Absolutely. Because when people are at their worst, you don't know what's going to spit out of their mouth. And yeah, yeah, that's such good advice. And, you know, as you're talking, I'm thinking about the blended family unit and how difficult it can be to try to deal with somebody else's children as a step parent, right? Because when it's our bio kids, we have that, we have that little bit more of a bond and this unconditional love for our bio children. Then sometimes we just know what's wrong with them. Where it's our stepchildren, we don't always know. And it's even mm-hmm. more so going to look like acting out because we can't understand them. We don't have that bond with them. And I feel like there's a lot of impatience um, for step parents to step kids for their behavior. So can you speak to that a little bit about how you can make mm-hmm. this work in a blended family unit? Totally. And I'm just nodding along here as you've been speaking. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, it really gets down to what's the story I'm telling myself. So what am I telling myself about this other person? 
what is the story? And then if I look at the story, it usually gives rise to how I'm feeling. So the first thing and something that we have complete control over is our own narrative. So F, if we step back a little bit from our narrative and we recognize that I'm putting this into a framework, I may not consciously be aware of it when I'm in the moment, really realizing that I'm telling myself a whole story about this person's behavior, but that's actually what we're always doing is we're telling ourselves a story about the behavior and chances are that story is peppered with one judgment word after another. And judgment words disconnect us from one another. So, you know, we're a hurting species. We actually are naturally gravitating toward one another. It's what we do as human beings. We, we naturally know that we're in this together. We're all connected. There is a sense of belonging. And we use judgment words without even thinking about it. We start to judge the other person. And if it's a blended family, there's, there's possibly already coming into it a lot of feelings that a child may have, you may have, where everybody's just not on really, as you would say, like the same as the bio kid where you have stronger foundation, where there really is sort of a sense of I can act my absolute worst and I know mom will still love me. Mm-hmm. Exactly. <laughs> it's just a given, you know, it doesn't matter. You're the one person in the world, mom or dad, who I can be completely atrocious with. And mm-hmm. ultimately, I know I am so safe here that you love me anyway. And to me, of course, that's that I love you one all feeling. And if you can cultivate that in your ecosystem in the family, then, you know, yay, you're 99% of the way there if that's the ecosystem. So when these presenting problems happen and we focus on the words people use, we focus on the ways that they're drowning, we focus on the surface. And this is where my whole program um, in conscious parenting is to help people get away from focusing on the presenting stuff. Because all of it is this tragic expression of the unmet needs, the manifestation of the unmet needs. When we start to look at what's underneath it and we see the need that someone's desperately trying to meet for connection or recognition or acknowledgement or to be seen and validated, whatever it may be, if we focus on the fact that they're struggling to feel like they matter maybe in this new system or even that their pain was acknowledged and how hard it was for them, sometimes that just that little step can change everything for us to be able to see what they're going through. So it's that ability as the parent to shift away from my experience of you to what's going on for you. That's really good stuff. Now, earlier you said communication is essential. I know that everybody, I tell that to everybody all the time on my show, but it's not always easy for people to do, right? We can give them some Mm -hmm. tips, but I want to know from you, when you're communicating with a child Mm -hmm. about their behavior, give us some tips. I know you said that there are certain words that we shouldn't use, and I understand that, but give us some tips on communicating uh, with problematic behavior or situations. Mm -hmm. So um, when we're reflecting back, the the first place I think we usually want to communicate from is, I want you to stop it. (laughs) (laughs) And so I would put a pause on that as a response. And instead of focusing on what I want, the pause button goes there because of course, I, I mean, we all want the expression to stop, but if we focus on it being about our experience, then I think we're, we're trying to get to it from a place of, to make me feel better, I need you to stop this where if we just pivot to, I wonder what's going on inside of them. 
that's needing support, needing acknowledgement, needing recognition, that if I were to tune into what their story is right now and what their pain is, what would support them so that they felt better so that they would just stop signaling like this? So that would be more of, you know, classic empathy work. And, you know, a lot of people call it many different things, reflective listening, compassionate listening, active listening, listening to what's not spoken, listening to what's underneath it. So Marshall used to say, never listen to the words people say. I would go and say, yeah, I agree with you, Marshall. And in addition to that, I would say, but read the field. So if I'm reading past the words they say, and I'm, I'm really tuning into what's deeper and underneath it, would it be something along the lines of, you know, are you feeling hurt? Do you feel like, you know, with this new family situation, you don't know where you belong anymore? Are you worried that I don't love you as much? I mean, you're beginning to wonder about what they're feeling. And I'd like to wonder in a way that gives them the sense of, you know, this is my sense of things and I'm not sure. So I wanted to check in. Is it that you're worried or is it that you're sad? You know, because name it to tame it. You know, another thing that's often spoken of in, you know, emotional granularity, supporting children to develop a vocabulary of feeling words and need words to be able to describe their inner experience so that they don't have to behave it. So when you have the behaviors, it's a signal again that there's somebody who's not in their frontal lobes. They're in the limbic part of their brain. Their emotions are overwhelming them. Believe it or not, they really are doing the best they can. So how can I support them to feel as though they can fall apart here without me taking it personally? So, you know, depersonalize, guess at the feelings, wonder what the needs are that might be unmet, support them in having a container where if they can't find it, you can. You can start to reflect back to them in wonder. Is it, I'm just wondering, you know, is it this? Is it that you're frustrated? Do you feel like I'm not listening? Do you feel that you don't matter? Are you sad? You know, you're just helping them to connect to what their feelings and needs are. And of course, as they begin to develop that ability, they can shift out of behaviors all the time to describing things to you. So it's kind of a step-by-step process. It's like learning a new language. It's the language of my internal world and how to describe it outside of me. We know that the world catalyzes all of us. And our big step is to go from thinking the catalyst is the cause of how I feel. So the first step we make is one from blame, blaming others for how I feel as if they caused it and trying to make them change to, oh, wow, I'm big catalyzed. I wonder what's going on inside of me. And then there's an interaction. There's a dance between my inner and my outer world, but from a different place than thinking other people make me feel. Yeah. So this is, this is just blowing my mind, all of this, because it's so simple but so effective and it's such, such a great way, such a simple way to look at things that really changes your whole outlook. And I truly do believe perspective is everything. Um, I want to know what you've seen as far as relationships between parent and child. I imagine that they're greatly improved after a parent starts practicing conscious and effective parenting. But I want to know what you've seen on improvements in relationships and families, and especially between parent and child? Oh, yeah. Um, You know, it's what keeps me going. And I think about, you know, my work, my body of work, and I've been doing this for a couple of decades. And it's that, 
It's the fact that a relationship that has been so damaged can be repaired. And this gives me the greatest joy in life. And I've had so many parents over the years come to me, especially parents with older kids, where maybe they didn't understand that when they were using rewards and punishments and their threats and taking things away, that they were cultivating the environment for the retaliation, that those are the ways that we create the resentment flows. And so, you know, retaliation, rebellion, and resistance, those are the first thing we always listen for in in conscious parenting is, gosh, have I created one of the R's? And the good news is that most of the time you did. (laughs) And as I said earlier, and the good news is you can change that. And so going back to, you know, what we started with earlier is that, yeah, when you have unwittingly, and I just want to give a blanket of grace to every parent who might be listening to this feeling badly right now, like, oh my gosh, I created one of the R's and I didn't even know I was doing it. That's right. You didn't know you were doing it. And in your heart, we all know every step of the way you have been doing your best. And I love to start there because I I just hate to see parents spiral into shame. And so part of, you know, what I work with, with parents that come into my program is I just heal that part. Let's heal that so that you're feeling resourced and there's plenty of forgiveness within for the mistakes you made when you did the best you could. And now you know more. So we go forward. So healing that, a part of the process is really being able to say to a child, um, I'm looking back on that situation and it could have happened yesterday or it could have happened five years ago, honestly. And I'm just reflecting on that day, that day when that thing happened and how I responded to it. And you know what? I wish I, I, wish I could have a do-over. I know it seems a little silly because it was so many years ago, but I still ruminate on it. I wonder if you do. And I recognize that um, at the time, I was kind of falling apart myself and I was responding in the best way I could. And in spite of that, I feel like I really wish I could do it over again. And what I found is that children are so forgiving and their heart is that they would love for there to be love and harmony in the relationship too. Now, depending on how damaged the relationship is, one conversation may not turn the tide. It may take more than that. And it may take a commitment on a parent's part. I don't care how mad they are and how much more resistance or retaliation or rebellion I get to experience. It's simply a reflection of how they felt about me using a controlling form of discipline over them. You know, you talked about defiance, oppositional defiance disorder to me is a highly autonomous child who's not seen as autonomous and living into an autonomy need. They're seen as self-centered, they're seen as um, disrespectful. They're not actually seen as simply trying to have a sense of self-autonomy, self-determination, self-direction, which is a completely human need. It's just mostly intolerated in children. And my experience over the years is I've gotten to work with tons and tons of parents who have children that they define as defiant or have even been you know, diagnosed ODD. And I always really ponder it and I say, well, I'm not even sure I believe in ODD as a diagnosis. And I'm sure there are lots of people out there going, oh, well, you haven't met my kid. (laughs) (laughs) And what I say is you don't need a new kid. You need a new strategy. And I must feel like I can guarantee you different outcomes with a different strategy. All you need is skills, you know, and nobody got the manual. And because nobody got the manual, nobody knew any better. So we're all out there just doing the best we can. And yeah. With more skills and with the manual, honest to God, you will get different outcomes. 
So healing in families to go from that child who you feel so disconnected from and it's breaking your heart because you knew you didn't have a child to raise into someone who doesn't love it or at least just doesn't feel like they love you anymore is so heartbreaking. So to bring a mom and a daughter or a son or a dad or anyone together again, oh, makes my heart sing. I can imagine that's a beautiful thing. You know, I, I had to have the conversation with my kids multiple times, apologizing maybe for the way that I had handled certain situations. And it's funny because every time that happens, they always look at me like I'm crazy. And they're like, mom, I don't even remember that. Or that wasn't Mm -hmm. even a big deal to me. You know, sometimes they'll Mm -hmm. say that. And then sometimes, um, you know, they appreciate that I say it and it's just Mm -hmm. a good thing to do. And I love that you brought that up because there's no place for self-judgment, shame Mm -hmm. or blame over the things that we have done because we didn't know just as my mom and dad didn't know and they made some mistakes too and wow. I don't blame them for it and if everybody yeah. could just stop and realize that we are all coming from the best place and we don't know what the heck we're doing and especially <laughs> in a blended family it's yeah. so hard that we do make even extra mistakes because we don't know what we're doing and mm-hmm. it's okay and so I love that you said that. Um, the one thing I want to talk about, because you you spoke on it a little bit, is about punishment and discipline. We didn't touch on that yet. And that's mm-hmm. a really, really important one. And I, that's one where I know that I feel I went wrong when, because I, I mm-hmm. didn't know how to do that. I tried many different ways with her, right? Mm-hmm. I tried time out and I tried this and that. But now what I'm hearing from you, and so many light bulbs are going off that I realized that I was just focused on what she was doing wrong and that I wanted it to stop instead of truly trying to figure out what was going on. So when it comes to discipline, I want you to talk to us about, you know, first of all, is punishing okay or is it not? If it's okay, how do we do it correctly and and what not to do? What are we doing wrong? Thank you so much. This is a huge can of worms. (laughs) Um, so I mean, let's see how much ground we can cover. Uh, and yeah, it's absolutely a wonderful question because, oh golly, has, is there anybody out there who didn't get raised with rewards and punishments? You know, I mean, raise your hand if you didn't get raised with rewards and punishments, because I'm going to say for the most part, that just didn't happen. It's become, you know, as it's like breathing. It's that's how common it is. In fact, to the point where I don't think people even question it. It's such a pervasive part of our common culture through the ages, as well as, uh, you know, across cultures, because I've been training in Asia and I mean, pretty much you name the nationality. I've worked with that nationality over the last 20 years, honestly, thousands of different, you know, people from different walks of life. So I see it everywhere. We have to question, okay, I just want to kind of like set this up. The first question is, what's the goal? So with a controlling form of discipline that uses rewards and punishments, I think the goal is to get the behavior to stop, to change. If they're, you know, acting out in a way that's uncomfortable for us, we just want it to stop. So Marshall Rosenberg used to say, if that's all we care about, then you can pretty much do whatever you want. (laughs) Because... A whole lot of stuff gets people to stop the behavior. So when we go to the next level, the question is, why do I want them to stop? 
where do I want them to be coming from within themselves when they change their behavior? Now that's a whole nother game. Now we're in a whole different field. If I want them to be coming from a place in which they've understood other people's experience of how they're being and they're changing out of consideration for other people, then that's a beautiful place to come from. If I'm doing it and I don't care, then for sure I'm going to pay for the change in behavior. So there's another resentment flow channel. Mm. So you can use power over someone and you can make them so-called behave if you don't take into consideration the resentment flow that you just developed by doing it. So it's short-lived, this idea that we can make people do something. It really is. It's very short-lived. It's in a certain sense, okay, well, maybe, sort of, but why? Are they doing it because they're afraid of me? Probably. Or are they doing it because they're a child and they're legitimately dependent on me for their access to preferred activities? And I've just threatened to withhold that. I'm working with a boy right now who's um, 20 years old. And he's come to me through another client and, and he's been telling me some of the things that he's been doing in response to the way his parents have been treating him. And I basically said, well, most people would call it duress. Like your decisions have been based under duress. You haven't felt like you really had choice because you are legitimately dependent on them. And they actually do have control over your access to a whole host of things. And so this is where it gets quite interesting. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm going to guess what you want and probably everybody listening wants is they want their children to shift their behavior out of consideration for other people and their needs, or they actually want their children to be able to feel internally that they've released whatever's caused them so much pain that they were acting in the way that they were acting. And so the release usually comes through acknowledgement of that child's perspective. So acknowledging the other person is such a respectful thing to do. And if you start to look as children, children are people too. And a lot of our fundamental issues come down to something as basic as children are people too. Even a young child is still a human being and they have all those needs inside of them that they're seeking to resolve, including once. And you know, I spend a ton of time in my courses going over the difference between wants and needs and strategies, and they're all a little different. But let's just stay clear about pure needs. And that's, that's something we all have, every single one of us, you know, we all have these universal needs that are inside of us. Even as adults, most of it are not are not really in touch with how much this behavior is actually stemming from my desire to meet this need or oh, this need. And, you know, that's where we become much more refined in consciousness when we begin to see that. So the question is, is punishment okay? No, punishment is not okay. Is teaching consideration of their needs and other people's needs a way to create change without paying for it through the three R's? Absolutely. Do most people's disruptions and behavioral disruptions in the family result from their controlling form of discipline? Absolutely, we know it. The research is crystal clear. So now that we know that, I'm sure you can probably reflect on, oh God, I was just trying to get them to pick up their dishes. And that somehow ended up in them going into a timeout or a naughty chair. And then they flew off the handle and went upstairs and said, I hate you, mommy. And that ended up in costing them yet another week of no TV. Or you can see, oh my God, that was a secondary problem. And that was a third problem and a fourth and a fifth and a sixth and a seventh. We're, we're really back to the very beginning of, but I really just wanted to talk about you picking up the dishes. 
we get so far away from the primary problems in our life because of the way we approached it. So everything gets back to conflict resolution. How do I want to address the conflict of me needing them to do this and them not wanting to? Like, that's it. Boom, right there. Do I do it by using power over? Well, you can try, but we already know it's going to generate the three R's. Why would you do that? Like, it's not efficient. And by the time you get done with it, you've created all of this hurt. And you still got their dishes on the table. <laughs> so you haven't even been effective at addressing the, the, the first issue. And, and instead, you've like created 50 other problems that came simply by the way you addressed it. So no, you don't want to use rewards and punishments. And rewards, of course, are the flip side of punishments because you can promise, promise, promise. If they do da-da-da-da-da, they're going to get blah, 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 blah. Say they feel like they've done 99% of it and they're deserving of the reward and you're like, well, no, sorry, not quite enough. I mean, you did pretty good, but not good enough. And then you withhold the reward, which feels like a punishment. And then boom, you spiral into the whole thing again. But the last thing I want to say about this is that fundamentally, I hear people say to me all the time, you know, I want my child to be more self-motivated. I want my child to be more of a self-starter. I want my child to be, you know, really essentially intrinsically motivated. And I'm like, well, how are you going to do that when everything about your entire family system is based on externalities? Like you do it because I said so, not because you chose it. But unless you start shifting to, I need you to start living life from within. I need you to stay connected to your inner being, to yourself. I need you to honor yourself because that's the greatest gift I can give you is a connection to yourself. And some people grow up in family systems. I did where I was told to be obedient and compliant and do as you're told young lady. And the problem with that was that it disregarded anything in me that wasn't feeling supported by this choice. I had to do it away. I had to learn to not speak up. I had to learn to not honor myself. And I never want a child to go through that. I want us to change our systems so that children feel they can speak from within their side and it can be honored and heard. And at the same time, the adult gets to say, I hear you. And this is going on for me. And the child gets to go, oh, wow, mommy or daddy, I didn't know that. I didn't realize that's what was going on for you. And I'm still struggling to figure out how to meet my needs too. And what do you think we can do about this? And, 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 and these conversations teach our children, no, don't you dare not honor yourself. You get to honor you too. Well, I hope that my listeners are getting as much out of this as I am because I'm really enjoying this conversation and you are just full of so much great information. And I really want to encourage the listeners um, to definitely check out more of what Catherine does. I want to talk about your course. You offer a course on your site called Guidance Approach to Parenting. It's a 90-day reset course. Tell us about that. Yeah. So that is exactly what we've been talking about is all the kind of stuff that I help parents to transition to. And, you know, we're turning the Titanic, right? So it requires coaching it requires integration. You know, it's one thing to hear somebody say, all right, pick up the tennis racket, now drop the ball and, you know, swing like this. And I don't know about you, but I've had a lot of tennis lessons and I still don't look like Andre Agassi. So it takes so much more than instructing, like, this is how you do it. 
to get that ball to look beautiful and have that top spin on it, you need to have, I believe, you just need to have support. And so the 90-day parenting reset, my next one is starting September 28th. And it's more than just information. It's information with the coaching and the integration. So every week I give everyone a module with workbook exercises. And then on Thursday, we come together and I do my live coaching twice a day, morning and evening. So I get all my time zones from US, East Coast, West Coast, Asia, Europe, everybody. So early morning, evening. And people choose whichever one and week by week it can change. So it gives some flexibility in there. And each week we start to take on everything from my irrational and conscious beliefs that have been underpinning my approach that I didn't even realize I had because I was never in this conversation where I certainly didn't grow up with conscious parents who were able to explain their, their why behind their values because they've never really done that work. And so it really wasn't a, a, a deeper conversation where a child or I was able to begin to understand, I care about this too, this is my value too. I'm choosing this, because we can't force values on anyone. So, so we go through everything from our belief systems that are unconscious and which are informing our parenting style to the awareness of those. And then I just start giving all the tools that support both you as the parent, if you're triggered, and let's face it, we get triggered. How do I support myself when I'm triggered so that I'm not manipulative and abusive and toxic to the world around me in order to get people to do what I want them to do? And I mean, every one of us needs that kind of support. So there's a lot of um, techniques. There's a lot of tools. And I take everyone on this 90-day reset journey so that they can heal those relationships that are hurting that they have a strategy to be able to go back in to readdress situations and know that they can make a difference to all of it, that actually you get to show up differently and you will get different outcomes. So it's back to that, you know, we harvest, the harvest that we harvest is the one that we planted. And as soon as we start to plant a different one, we get a different harvest. That's so empowering that we can make such a big difference to these dynamics. So yeah, it'd be wonderful. And I'll send a special code for your audience as well so that they can get a discount. That will be great. And I will make sure that I put the code in the show notes. And one question about that, if someone is listening after September 28th, I think you said, uh, can they still join or do they wait for the next run? You know, um, I would say uh, it's best to contact me and I onboarded people definitely after September 28th. Um, so in my past, I've always onboarded people beyond the actual start date. And because now, I mean, I'm still doing it. It's kind of like one of the things I'm most proud of is that um, I've, I've transitioned to the digital platform. I am transitioning. I've been coaching live for 20 years, but I'm finally like, okay, I'm going to have to do this now. Yes, it's time. <laughs> and it's time. So I've been recording um, all of my training and I'm going to, I'm in a program right now taking a group of people through it. And I'm literally, I'm just getting there just before they are so I can deliver something into their box on Monday every week. And so the joy of that is that if somebody were to start later, they would be able to, to just go back and listen to all of the core teaching material and the workbook activities and just pop right in, pop right That's in on Thursdays. Great. Yeah. 
That is the best way to do it. I'm so happy for you. You know, I was reading over the course, Catherine, and it really looks amazing. And I saw you had written there that all parents have power, but how are we using it? And the thing is, we often feel so powerless. First of all, Mm. (laughs) we do Mm. with everything going on in our world right now, but there's Mm. something about the blended family that even makes us feel more powerless because we really don't have control Mm. over a lot of things that happen. And so I think in the blended family, we often give our power away for just a multitude of reasons. So Mm. my question to you is, how do we take our power back? What does that look like and how do we do it? Yeah, that's so beautiful. Um, I want to tell a story. It's about a little boy who um, I was brought in by the mom to help. He was in trouble all the time. And he was, um, you know, timeouts were like common and he was staying at recess and he's, he was being punished for his behavior. He was having a really hard time in class because somebody was just knew every button and how to push it and just got him activated. Like it was, it was just like, Oh my gosh. And so I came in to start working with this boy and met with counselors and the principals and started doing all of that kind of assessment work together with them in support of him being able to be more in control, self-control. That's the whole game, right? We want children to behave in the ways we want them to behave from within. And so again, I'm back to shifting the whole paradigm from this external, what we do to them, to resourcing them so that from within, they can begin to find the right behaviors. So the conversation I had was, you know, if you have a TV, and of course he did, and you've got a remote control, he knew that, he knew he could change the channel by pushing a button. And he could see, as I helped him walk this path, that he'd given the remote control to his own behavior to this other girl in class. Mm. And it popped for him. And all of a sudden, it was like he knew he could take the remote control back. And that visual gave him an opportunity every time she did whatever she was doing. It was like he could get it. It was like she pushed a button and she was getting this behavior evoked out of him. Mm. And he learned self-control. So I think it's the same thing with us. When we are activated by something and we go into our reactive behaviors, it's as though this person outside of us has got the remote control over our lives. And with that visualization in mind, we can begin to go, gosh, why did I give my remote control to them? (laughs) Hold on a minute. I, I could take that remote control back. So, you know, we start to take it back into our own hand and we realize, gosh, nobody actually has control over me. I choose. I'm going to choose how I respond, and I know the way to support you in doing that is to make you realize that your response is habituated. We have habituated responses to certain stimuli. And those responses, it's like a neural network in your brain. I mean, we we know this, right? There's so much information on the brain and neural pathways that for you to be able to respond differently, you're going to have to start creating a new neural pathway. And it happens every single time you start to do something differently. When you break that habituated response and even just a pause. And and I like to talk about becoming the observer of your feelings, the observer of your thoughts. And I do a lot of work around this. But just becoming the observer of what's going on inside of you, rather than thinking you are the thought or you are that feeling and you become merged with it, in the merged state, we are, we are not there. Like the self in us is gone. So in our merged state, we've lost our rudder. So how to help you, moms, dads, stay connected to self so that when that 
that old trigger pops up, that behavior external to you pops up, you are able to pause, take that remote control back, actually take a look at it like, oh, wow, usually that pushes this very button over here where I explode. <laughs> I'm not going to do that today. I'm going to actually use a whole different response. I'm going to try this one over here. I'm going to do a, huh, or I'm going to look at them and go, gosh, you're really upset today. Yeah, I can really see that, you know, there's something in you that's really upsetting. And you know what happens when you just do a completely different thing and you shift away from your experience of them to what's going on inside of them? I have had parents report to me, it was like they were a deer in headlight. They didn't even know what to do anymore. They'd never even heard me respond that way. It's like all of a sudden, when you're in this little container of my 90 days, every single one of you is going to be like um, a Petri dish. We are literally creating an experiment in everybody's family where you get to try new stuff and break patterns and see what the outcomes are. It's like every week you're culturing a different Petri dish with a different something and you're going to grow something different. I can guarantee it. So we know when you do this, you grow that. When you do this, you're going to grow something else. I bet you don't even know what you're going to grow, but it's exciting. It's exciting to see as I practice this skill or this new approach or this new relationship to my feeling world or this new relationship to my thoughts. And I kind of bring in some breathing and we, we touch a little bit into meditation and some of the practices that can support us in having a new experience of our internal world. Well, that is wonderful. I tell you, I feel like I could talk to you for three more hours, but I know we're approaching the <laughs> so end of fun. our time together, but you are just so full of the best advice. And I really, really do hope that the listeners got the nuggets out of there because there were so many. Um, how can my listeners learn more about you or contact you? Yes. Um, ConsciousParentingRevolution.com or Catherine at ConsciousParentingRevolution.com is my email. And um, people are welcome to email me with their questions or thoughts or worries or concerns or just for some advice. Um, or go to the website, ConsciousParentingRevolution.com. I actually have an ebook, an opt-in ebook, that they are welcome to um, get to support them with seven habits, you know, strategies to keep them out of um, that dynamic. And also, I'll be posting a webinar on three common mistakes that parents make and how to reverse them. Great. And when is the webinar? Um, I think I'm going to post it tomorrow. So it'll certainly be up by the time um, this, okay. this is posted. Okay, perfect. And before we go, Catherine, I would just love for you to share maybe one thing that parents can implement right away as soon as they hear this interview to maybe start improving things immediately at home. What's one thing they can do? A no to you is a yes to something inside of them. Mm. Wonder about what the yes inside of them is. Perfect. Perfect. That's great advice. Thank you so much, Catherine. I've really thoroughly so enjoyed welcome. you. I've thoroughly enjoyed chatting with you. It's been so wonderful. Thank you so much. You have been listening to the Blended Family Podcast. For more information, please visit the website at blendedfamilypodcast.com. Remember, to create the peaceful home you desire, all you need is love.